everyone, and welcome to Long Box Heroes, episode 635, the Lamborghini of the Comic Book Podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm energetic, ready to do a short, short, short podcast. You can just end it here and say goodnight to everybody. Remember, you faucet. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm joking around. We actually do have stuff to talk about, but um, with me uh, being under the weather uh, two weeks ago and then us keeping on schedule for who opens the show, it feels like it's been forever since I opened the show. Well, you did it beautifully, Joe. You haven't done the teases yet, but so far, um, chef's kiss. I know how much you like that. So I haven't, I haven't stumbled. I haven't called you anyone else's name. Right. Everything is going great. You know, we haven't had to take several takes of this. <laughs> right. Like the times where we do have to take several takes of it and never acknowledge it. Whereas oh, this I time, where this time we didn't have to take several takes of it and I am acknowledging it. Right, right. Definitely uh, doing a bit in regards to this. Oh, hold on. There might be more bits down the road. You never that's know. What I, that's what I hear from the show notes. Uh, but in news this week, uh, we have the return, new material of a. 30-plus-on independent stalwart, and maybe this will be the thing that finally gets them a Netflix show. Right. And also, something I love to see, uh, more uh, independent comic books taking place in the world of professional wrestling. Yes. And maybe there might be some interest to some other folks in regards to this one. Uh, Conventions this weekend... Uh, we have what we've read from this past week, which includes Justice Society of America number one and Nightwing 2022 Annual One. Right, definitely not right a cumbersome off. title. Right, rolls right off the tongue. Yes. Uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week: uh, the finals, uh, or the the determination of who's going to go to the finals of the bat bracket. In Todd and Joe have issues, aka the Silver Standard, aka the Battle for Second Place, aka Todd and Joe Go Rogue. Uh, also, just general updates of everything else that's going on in the Longbox Heroes, soon to be named Network Universe, and spoiler filled discussion of the penultimate episode of Stargirl. Right. And Joe, do you know how sad I am that there's no more Andor to talk about? Do you want to go back and watch it again? Like, because, like, after the finale of Stargirl next week, we literally have nothing until uh, middle of February. Right. Um, so other than maybe going and watching Black Adam. Okay. Um, I'll say this. You make a joke. Do you know how many times since we've recorded last week I've went to YouTube and watched the band playing the music to the hologram to Brasso being the man? Uh, it has to be over a dozen. No, I, I, so in the last, you know, definitely two weeks uh, out and about in regular company, I have been pushing to anyone that'll listen how good Andor is, you know? Good for you. Spread uh, the word, Joe. I just wanted to get that out. You, were, you know, we're talking about it. You know, as lifelong Star Wars fans, you know, mm-hmm. and we talk about it on uh, the Patreon show previewing the past, 
where, you know, 30 years ago, 1992 into 93, it was like for every one Star Wars item, there was like 10 Star Trek items. Yep. And it was just Star Trek had like a little bit of thing because of the air of the air to the Empire books, but not really too much. And they really wouldn't start picking up steam again for, you know, however long it was. So, you know, I want more Star Wars stuff. And everyone's like, don't we have enough Star Wars stuff? And I'm like, yes, but do we have enough good to great Star Wars stuff? And that answer is no. Right. You stole you stole exactly what I was going to say. Right. So I want more great Star Wars, and that and Andor was great. So, and I'm okay with and and it's you know we're 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 gonna get to the show, I promise. And Todd said it's gonna be a short show, and this is not me padding things out, but it's in my head, so we have to get it out. If they only made like two comic books a year, let's say, or like three comic books a year, like not three three runs of a book, it's like there's three comic books that come out through during the course of the year, and those are the three comic books you have. Okay, right. Those better be the best three comic books in the world, you know? I agree. So when they put out dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of comic books a month, let alone a year, it allows me to pick and choose to the things that I like. And it allows creators, publishers, whatever, to take chances on stuff to swing and miss, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously the misses you forget about, but the thing that they swing and hit on you know, picks up steam, becomes more culturally culturally relevant. And that's how classics happen is that you take those chances and fail, right? Mm-hmm. Not every comic book is great, but the ones that are great are like really great. And not every Star Wars thing that's ever been made is great, but the stuff that is great, you know, we had to sit through a lot of bad stuff to get to the good the really great stuff, you know? Yep, and like I said, this is in my head now, and I say this always, when anybody says comics aren't good anymore, or, you know, comics have gotten bad, or this, like it's not like it was in the old days, there was a lot of crap. I say any generation, I don't care what generation it is, unless that that media was not around, like before movies, you can't say there were good movies, this is, this is the range of it. There is 5% amazing stuff. There is 10% good stuff. Then it's 85% okay to garbage. And it's a matter of knowing how to get to that 5 slash 10%. You know what I mean? And me and you, like doing this podcast, I feel like we've done this long enough to weed out. Like we know, we did just not even just on the Ed Brubaker stuff or whatever. It's like, oh, I like this or I like this idea. I know this or I see this. I'll try this. But I think we've we know how to to transverse the comic book previews, you know, really, really well for ourselves, at least. For sure. So anyway. Anyway, news this week. Uh, It has been announced uh, that Jeff Smith has signed on to do a brand new bone graphic novel. Uh, to be published in 2013, 2023, rather, um, Bone More Tall Tales. He's going to have a bunch of different folks on uh, to handle some of the art, as well as he, uh, Stan Sakai, Katie Cook, amongst others. And this is the first new Bone materials, Bone published stuff in almost 20 years. Yep. 
Um, you, there was stuff that was like reissued and stuff because I guess he signed a deal with like Scholastic, and there was stuff that was public, like just it was like new collections of stuff, but like brand new, you know, material. This first time in 19 years, we joked at the beginning of the show that there was going to be a Netflix show, and then that got kiboshed. Mm. Um, but yeah, so this is going to be uh, very interesting to see this come out. You know, an independent comic book stalwart. Yep. Did you read Bone back at any point, or no? I have never read Bone. Really? Wow. Okay, I read Bone. Um, the way I read Bone was I didn't read it as it was ongoing. Uh, the definitive Colonel Sanders artist, yes, had the, had the trades, and the they was only trades out at one point, and then they like did deluxe hardcover versions, and he was like, "Oh, I'm buying the hardcovers." Um, when he would buy, like when they would do the new hardcover, he would give me the old trade paperback. He's like, I'm just, he's like, I don't want it. He's like, whatever. So he would give it to me. So I was reading them, like hoping that a new hardcover would come out so I could get the next one from him. Um, but you know, man, I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's kind of like, you know, it's his love of like, uh, the ducks from the Disney comics and of like, that was kind of like, I guess the, where he got the germ of the idea from it. And man, that would be a good run to read. And I think there's like 55 issues. Oh my God. That's close to 52. That would have been a good <laughs> idea. But anyway, we could, we could put it on the list for next year. How about that? <laughs> yep. I was just curious as whether you read it or not. So. No, I never read it. Gotcha. And let me add, and like I said, let me add it to the the list for next year for the voting. You know, there you go. There might be some specials, but I know it's fifty five issues for that comic. Right, I remember it kind of bounced around to be like self published. Then it was an image for a while, mm-hmm. and then like I said, it got picked up by Scholastic, which is you know a great place for it to be. You know, get it in the hands of kids who should be reading these books anyway, and that's who the new stuff is coming out with uh, as well. You know. Right. So that means I'll probably be picking that up, to, or at least depending on how it comes out, to see if it matches like the trades that I have. I'll get somehow that way, you know. Right. So. Uh, so we just got the February uh, solicitations for 2023. The new previews came out just this past week, and already there's stuff that's getting released, hyped up, etc. For March of 2023, and this is a book from Ahoy entitled "The Gimmick." Uh, in regards to professional wrestling, where it is a professional wrestler who realizes that he has super strength, and during the course of a match, he accidentally kills his opponent. So now uh, he needs to be on the run, get a new gimmick, go into hiding, but continue doing the thing uh, that he loves the most, which is professional wrestling. Uh, artist on this, Alania Gogu, no relation to Grogu, pun intended. Uh, variant covers by Erica Henderson, who you would know from Squirrel Girl stuff, and uh, Carrie Randolph. The writer of this uh, is a woman by the name of Joanne Starr, who actually is and has been involved in the world of professional wrestling for quite some time. Uh, from the press release... Uh, you know, she says the gimmick is born from the wild, incredible and sometimes terrible experiences I had in the world of professional wrestling. I've seen it all uh, from many angles as an entering performer, a promoter and a wrestler's girlfriend. I've got stories, y'all. And already the book is getting, you know, early glowing reviews from everyone from Pia Guerrero, who was the artist in Why the Last Man 
Patton Oswalt, Chip Zdarsky, and Jimmy Palmiotti. And I know she's part of the Jimmy Palmiotti, Amanda Connor, Frank Thierry crew. So it's very nice of Jimmy to say something, but Jimmy's not going to put his name on something if it's not good, you know? Yeah, I believe I met her at a Jimmy Palmiotti uh, panel with like Amanda I think and you, all them. I think you did, Todd. I yes, think you did. I did. That was a fun panel. It was I left my panel. heart at that panel, Joe. It was so good. <laughs> We always say, you know, whenever we do our convention stuff and we see the crew of Jimmy and Amanda and Frank Terry are going to be somewhere, uh, we always say, go check out to see if they're doing a panel and then just kind of tag along to see where the after party is as well, you know? Yep. I, I will say, uh, rest his soul, uh, Darwin Cook was on those things too. Yes. And I'll never forget because they make like people do dares and stuff. There'll be stuff under the table. And I'll never forget like some guy just like he got a thing and he's like hey darwin cook he's like do you have a ring on your finger he's like yeah i do do you, do you mind if i come up and see it? he's like yeah he knows like something's happened he comes up he's like oh that's a really nice ring and he just licks darwin cook's hand <laughs> and that was the dare and i'm like oh i wonder if they're doing that dare post covid show <laughs> No, I don't think so. But like I said, Joanne, I know, does have uh, history. She's been in and around the wrestling business for the better part of the last 20 years plus. And it's a wrestling comic book uh, with the high pedigree. So this is absolutely going on my pull list, as I'm sure it is going on Todd's as well. Oh, I'm writing that down. So if I seem distracted, Joe. Gotcha. Uh, so it's a light news week this week, but, uh, there is a convention going on this weekend, Todd. There is? Uh, it wasn't in the notes. I know. Well, it was, shh, shh, stop. So, uh, it's a, it's a pretty big, you know, some name folks there at the convention. Um, the, I guess like, you know, media guests, uh, of honor person is Zachary Levi, who's the Shazam boy. Okay. Um, Mike Diodato is going to be there. Wes Craig is going to be there. Gene Ha, Carrie Nord. It's a you know it's a pretty big name list of guests, right? Cool, cool. Uh, and this would be uh, Comic Con taking place in uh, Portugal. So I don't know if you know anyone in the area who could maybe go get something signed for you or something. If if not, I may take a slow boat to Lisbon and go see an old friend. <laughs> there you go. Dan Didio, I mean. Dan Didio. No, I think Dan's in New York. Um, but yes, uh, there's, like, all the conventions in the, like, usually we don't do international uh, cons, you know. We, I know, I could really look at the metrics and see if, where we have listeners and stuff and kind of tier stuff that way. Well, yeah. uh, but that definitely sounds like a lot of work. Um, that being said, United States, Canada, pretty much, unless there's, like, some sort of crazy one, and like, luckily, there's like no biggies going on in the states this weekend. So, uh, you know, anytime that I could bring Portugal up uh, seamlessly on the show, I do. That's right. I know we probably have one listener in Portugal, so hmm, maybe. Uh, so the links to the convention will be in the show notes, uh, along with information about soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows in the soon-to-be-named network go live, you could find them at their respective websites, at whatever your podcatcher of choice is. My Spotify rap is a donut this year. I don't listen to nothing on no podcatcher, right? Right. Um, the only way to get your podcast is to have a text file of RSS feeds that you constantly hit F5 on on the day that you think they're going to come out, barring that, soon-to-be-named-network.com. 
Uh, and that includes, of course, this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, Final Wrestling Place, Add-Ons with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Wings on Wings, Hit My Music, uh, the, ser- the, the short serialized boutique series, No Chance in Helmet, and Porch Talk, of course. And anytime any of the folks from the soon-to-be-named network go on other shows and they let me know, you can find them there at soon-to-be-named-network.com as well. Uh, I recently recorded a podcast appearance, and when that goes live, uh, you can definitely find it there. Maybe I spoil it in uh, After Dark this week, but uh, we'll keep it uh, you know, a secret here. How about that? Yeah. Uh, while you're looking at the uh, website, of course, the show notes for every single one of these episodes, um, check out some of our friends who are doing stuff on the internet. Mike Sterling's blog at Progressive Rune, our friend Kevin's blog at MassLibrary.com, uh, Rick Williams' The Chop Shop, those cool uh, resin, glow-in-the-dark sci-fi fantasy wrestling figures that he does. Uh, longtime listeners of the show, Chris Runt and Jason Sandberg, respectively, have self-published comics um battle monsters and jupiter in that order we have links where you can go and purchase those comics directly from those folks and uh chris also has a podcast that he does weekly as well fortress of comic news check that out uh and hey if you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area let our comic book shop be your comic book shop comics on the green I have their Facebook page linked up there. That's where Dave and the crew do most of their social mediaing. Uh, announcement when the books are in for the week, new books coming out, pre-order cutoffs, all that sort of thing. And you can go sign up for a subscription service. Get your comics mailed directly to you, whether it be monthly, twice a month, weekly, whatever it is. There's uh, a chance you'll get a sketch from our good friend Becky on the package that comes out to you. You can go check out her social media for her sketches, prints, processes, and so forth. And we got off on something else last week. We actually got off on the subject of bad eBay sellers and buyers and stuff. So I did not get a chance to yell at her about putting together uh, a sketchbook. Oh, yeah, you've got to get on that. Yeah, she won't listen get... to me, so. Well, listen, if enough people yell at her about it uh, in person or online, maybe she'll actually do it. That's all we could hope for, you know? That is true. This is one of those instances where I say bullying is not only works as encouraged. Peer pressure for, your, you know, to advance, if you know what I mean. Yes. So, so let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Where would you like to begin? Uh, I'm going to start with the book I think we were both looking forward to most, which was Justice Society of America, number one, written by Jeff Johns, art by uh, Mikhail Janine. Uh, this takes place, you know, spinning out of the events of the new golden age, number one, recently out. Um, <clears throat> it's 26 years in the future, and Huntress is trying to hunt down uh, or at least find what's happened to Dr. Fate, because in the book that we, we had read, like, all the Dr. Fates throughout like history were being killed in the past, present and future. Um, so she's doing that <clears throat> with the help of the new justice society of America, which may not be the uh, members that you think there would be on the justice society. And uh, so she's going around and she's getting advice from her mother uh, who is Catwoman, because Batman had died several years early. It's explained in the thing, which makes me wonder if there was, because I know Huntress was an earth two daughter of Catwoman and Batman. So I'm wondering if this is like that, 
history or he's making it up as he goes. I'm not quite sure. But uh, the group they get together with are ne'er-do-wells that are in the JSA. And then the person who uh, shows up who, you know, from New Golden Age who was attacking the Dr. Fates, you know, basically puts his boot to the new Justice Society in cool and interesting ways. Um, and Catwoman, you know, kind of shows up to help her daughter. And then there's a, you know, an explosion kind of a deal. And maybe Huntress is, you know, transported through time. Um, I, this was more of a straightforward book than the last Jeff Johns, uh, the new golden age. And I liked it more than the star girl one shot, uh, one, because it looked beautiful. I'm a big Mikel Janine fan on art. Um, and I like the feel to the old golden age stuff. And I did like, you know, the, uh, the new group of JSA and I'm willing to see where it goes because I'm going to get more JSA. Uh, I, I really liked it. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I really liked it. So I liked this a lot. I definitely liked it better than the golden age one shot. I would put it on par, maybe a step below the star girl issue. The okay. star girl issue felt a little bit more straightforward in regards to what we need to do. It had, I guess, less overhead, right? Less new people to worry about. And you'd mentioned the, the JSA team. And this is maybe a team that you wouldn't suspect. And they're all legacy characters, right? And again, we'll tread lightly in regards to this, you know, cause it's a really interesting team, but it's mostly legacy people or people that have a direct tie to the JSA for the most part. Right. Right. Um, the part that I, let's say the part, I'm, I don't want to say that I dislike the most about this, but it's one of the things that I, it's going to, it's going to take a little while for me to get used to in that, um, I'm not a golden age. Um, like my knowledge of the golden age is spotty at best. Right. Um, you know, I'm pretty good at like post crisis stuff or the stuff that kisses right up against 1986's crisis, you know? Right. So when Huntress gets tied in, as you mentioned, Earth 2 Huntress, and she has ties to the JSA as opposed to having ties to the Justice League, and I'm like, is this the right Huntress, you know? Right. And it just kind of gives me just like a little bit of a pause, you know? No, I get you. But with Huntress, there's been like so many versions. Uh, it, it, she's not as bad as, say, Hawkman. But yeah, I get it. But I reckon, because I, I, I kind of recognize this Huntress. And then I'm not sure if it's the Huntress that spins out of the Tom King book. You know what I mean? Like, because that was supposedly Earth One until it wasn't. So I don't know. Maybe it's all going to come into play when it's done. You know what I mean? Like, we'll understand more. Right. Now, the part that I loved was the villain showing up right. and his systematic and let's just say his systematic destruction of the JSA. <sighs> it was, it was very much like that. Um, I'm not sure if it was uh, the Grant Morrison or the Mark Wade run, the two kind of like touch up against each other of JLA where mm -hmm. Prometheus takes them down. Right. Uh, by like using their weaknesses against them or like, I'm going to alter your makeup in this way, or I have this thing to take you down, or, you know, I've been exposing you to kryptonite slowly for all these years <laughs> so I can shoot you with a gun at point blank range. Uh, I felt this did a much better job establishing of who this new villain is and getting him over as a legitimate threat than seeing what he did in the Golden Age one shot. 
Can I pull a Joe nitpick that's a Todd nitpick? Sure. Okay. I, I get that you love that, and I will concede it always works. You know what I mean? But as we discussed earlier, me and you have had a long road of reading comics. Yes, I've seen that in the Justice League. Uh, I don't remember if you remember in Starman when the Mist shows up and dismantles the, like, you know, not the A-League of the Justice League. It was like, you know, Ice Maiden and, you know, Amazing Man and just gets over on them. There comes a point when you just put together a team for cannon fodder that I get bored with it. Like it works and I get it and I, and I read it and I'm going to move on, but I'm just like, Oh, I would have rather seen these characters do something than put a really cool team together and go, yeah, we're just going to mess all this up so we can move the story along. And it goes back to like OMAC and stuff like that, where they're just like, Oh, we're just going to kill rocket red because he's expendable. It's nobody big. It's nobody great. We could just kill it. Will and killing is is to them is is dramatic effect and i'm like i'm over that if that makes any sense i love the book and i don't want to take that away from it i just think this is a trick i've seen far too many times now i will say it is a trick that i've seen a lot okay i wouldn't put it for myself at far too many times but sometimes you and i do read different things mm-hmm. and the last time that i remember seeing something like this has been a while. So, you know, it is something that, you know, uh, they, they'll they say the moratorium on something like that before you could recycle uh, an idea or a storyline or, a, you know, a, a plot device like this that has such that emotional punch is like seven years, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel as though it's definitely been seven years since I've read this trope. And I get where you're coming from. And I definitely think that's a Jeff Johns thing. We're killing a bunch of people in that first issue or killing off a big name character to kind of shake things up in his first issue of a book is more of a Jeff Johns trope than an anything else trope. Um, I completely see where you're coming from, but maybe we'll revisit this uh, in a couple issues. And I'm like, yeah, Todd was right. This sucked, you know, like not that it sucked. But it was like, uh, it was a little ham-fisted, it was a little rote, it was a little repetitive, it's a little ho-hum, we've been there. Um, But because it's the future, you know, as you say it, It because the future, it can be fixed. Right, that's all I'm saying. Like, I'm saying, and it's not just DC, like, I've seen this at Marvel, I've seen, you know, put the group together to slaughter them, you know what I mean? So that's all. But. I liked it. You know, if you're like Jeff John stuff, if you like JSA, I think this is a good one to hop on. Um, you know, don't read Golden Age. Just get this and Stargirl yeah. and then make your decision of which of the two feel better to you. I think Stargirl is only a miniseries, uh, but so, this, I think, is an ongoing. So, you know, make your decisions from there. Right. I don't want to know why I'm saying this is a miniseries, too, but it doesn't say on the cover. But, yeah. So, anyway. Um, so the other book that we both read from this past week uh, was Nightwing 2022 Annual Number 1. Uh, we're only going to talk about the main story in this, uh, the Tom Taylor story. There's two other backup features in this. Um, one is Dick and Jonathan Kent training, and another one is about what the new Bat Dog is up to, right? Right, what goes on in Bitewing's mind, which is fascinating, but not the best story in this issue. 
But this is the secret, not-so-secret origin of the new villain that Dick has been fighting since the beginning of the Tom Taylor run. And it's a lot of parallels of how their origin lines up to not only Bruce Wayne's origin on paper and Dick Grayson's origin in being there for it live. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both characters had uh, attentive father figures that were not their own. Uh, both uh, had maybe traumatic incidents involving other parts of their family. And, you know, maybe things could have went a different way if they had a different influence in their life. You know, that's kind of what I looked at this as well. If Bruce or Dick had maybe this influence in their life, maybe they would have turned out the same way uh, here. You know, I'm with you. It's it's like poetry, Joe, because it rhymes with the two characters. Yeah. Um, But I will say I really like the story. I thought it was a great origin. Um, Like you said, how it intersects dick grayson's life throughout the years but not so ham-fisted that it doesn't make any sense it's not like it's every other week uh our our lives are you know but it shows and shows where it intersected at points in the comic which i think is fascinating um because something that i thought was throwaway from the uh main run to more and this is how good of a writer tom taylor is that this moment i thought from this point of view was to show the relationship between barbara and dick like at an earlier time when it really showed that this whole time that character was the the villain from the book and i'm like that's the bait and switch really, really works. And that's why, you know, I, I really like Tom Taylor's writer and I like this story all around. It was creepy and like, you know, eerie and stuff like that. Uh, so I was, and we always love, you know, when, even though there's two other stories in it, when an annual is in, integral to the main story, it's not like, oh, here's just some story of like Dick Grayson running around, you know, in another country trying to solve, you know, a museum heist. It's like, no. It's tied into the main story, and you need it. It's the origin of the villain, blah, blah, blah. So I love when annuals used to do that more. Yeah. Um, I I like more when annuals give you important information or, like, fun little side stories than being part of a big, giant, overarching storyline that we need to fill out some sort of quota for. You know, not a knock on Atlantis attacks or anything, but I just did, you know? No, I'm with you. Even though every once in a while, I really do love some of those, like the DC annual crossovers, like Eclipse of the Darkness Within, and then Final Night. Although that was in the regular issues, but I don't mind when it's done well. Yeah, but, uh, uh, it was overused there for a while. Yeah, more times than not, it was not for a period of time, late '90s, early 2000s. So, what are you saying? Bloodlines wasn't good. Joe? Oh my god. You got Hitman out of it, so I say Bloodlines is good. There's usually, like, there's usually one story from, like, major crossovers. It's like, we're gonna throw a lot of garbage at you, and then there's one. It's like, it's like Hitman coming out of Bloodlines and Starman coming out of Zero Hour. We could have been talking about Primal Force right now, Joe, but we're not. Right. Well, that's, you know, that's what we talked about at the beginning of the show with the Star Wars stuff. You know, you gotta throw a lot of stuff against the wall, to see, you know, one of the ideas that might be a hit, you know? 
Right, loose cannon and Argus from Bloodlines. <laughs> so obviously, you were more a DC guy than a Marvel guy. Right around that same time, and we'll get to it in previewing the past. I think in like '94, where Marvel did a thing like that with their annuals. There was no thematicness to it, like the overarching storyline of Bloodlines. It was just. Uh, hey, all of our annuals this year are going to introduce new characters that are going to be the latest and greatest additions to that character's rogues gallery. Right. And I don't think a single one stuck. No. And like we said, that was what Bloodlines was for. Yeah. And the only one that came out. And then other like other stuff they did that. I'm trying to remember which one they did at DC where it was going to be villains too. And it's like, oh, there's a lot of bad ideas here. Yeah. Uh, but talking about bad ideas, Nightwing Annual is a good idea. Um, definitely check Nightwing out regardless, you know? Yep. It's one of the top three books that DC's publishing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what we've read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Um, oh, so the pull post goes up every Tuesday around noon Eastern time. Uh, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd is currently in the lead over me with four correct guesses. And with only four weeks left, I really got a hustle to make these count. Uh, looking at Todd's list. Uh, and again, you got to take big swings here, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both have a lot of books. There's enough disparity between the two lists. I think the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Fantastic Four number two. It is actually Fantastic Four number two, Joe. Yep, couple number ones, couple stuff that we've been enjoying. Uh, rumored innuendo. Well, let's get into. Uh, you have to make your guess. So, right. Um, I have a question, if I may. All right. Is dual power bomb the last one? Uh, yes, it is. Um, and then I'm going to take a big swing here and say, because it's been the streak. Dual power bomb number seven is the book you're looking forward to most. It missed one week because I think there was some, like, other new number one that came out, you know? Right, right, right. Uh, But it's six for seven. I would say it's definitely been a series I've been enjoying immensely and sad to see it go. Um, You know, I could have gotten some spoilers on it, but I chose not to. I'm going to wait till I have it in my grubby little hands and read it. Um, You know, and I think we'll be talking about Batman 130 next week as well. Call it a hunch. Sure. And we might even talk a little bit about Thanos death notes. Yeah. If you believe the, uh, the, the dirt sheets, you know, but, oh yeah, that's right. So, uh, Thanos death notes is another, it's essentially like a Thanos annual, I guess. Yeah. They, or just a special at least. Yeah. Yeah. And Kyle Starks has a story in it. Does he not? Yes, he does. And that's the, I'm a big Thanos guy, but I wouldn't have bought this. This is the Kyle Starks, you know, uh, got me to buy it. Yeah. And I know Kyle has a new book. Uh, coming out from Dark Horse in February. We talked about the uh, February solicitations, previews, and so forth. He has a new miniseries called Where Monsters Lie uh, coming out. You know, Kyle's a great dude. I haven't read a thing by his that I haven't loved. Um, He was nice enough to come on the show earlier this year uh, to promote I Hate This Place, and he was also nice enough to uh, send us uh, review copies of the new book, you know? You um, might know that book under a different name. <laughs> yes, but, yes. Uh, that's the one we could say here. Right. Um, but Where Monsters Lie, uh, it's a horror book. It's a dark horse. Uh, once it gets a little bit closer to the final order cutoff date, we're probably going to talk 
uh, about the book. Spoiler free, of course. You know, we definitely want you to go out and check Kyle's stuff out. Um, you know, someone who's out there grinding it and someone who uh, likes all the same stuff that we like. You know, he's he's one of us, I guess, is the best way to put it. You know, right. Except the wrestling stuff. Todd doesn't go in for that. Yeah, who knows? Maybe that book you talked about in the news could change my mind, Joe. Mm-hmm. That's a sweetheart book, I think. Mm-hmm. If only you can. Well, never mind. Let's not. Right. Uh, let's not keep scratching that one, huh? Right. Uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out uh, Todd and Joe Have Issues, which this year uh, is the Silver Standard. Uh, Battle for second place, Todd and Joe go rogue, and everyone knows that The Flash has the best rogues gallery in all of comics. Todd thinks Batman is the second best rogues gallery in comics. I think Spider-Man is the second best rogues gallery in all of comics. Listener of the show, Grinch McScrooge, put together a big bracket after we compiled the bottom of the barrel worst villains of each of those representative rogues gallery. We've pitted them together in matches throughout the course of the year you the listeners have voted on it and we are now down to the final four with the spider-man bracket locked and ready to be voted on for this week and the winner uh for the batman bracket here is signal man which in one part makes me mad uh because i really think ten-eyed man is better uh, but I like Signal Man or Made a Wood Killer too. Moving on to the finals for whatever Spider-Man person makes it, you know. Right. Uh, so our finals for the Batman bracket are set. Our finals for the Spider-Man bracket are ready to vote on for this week. And I would say the Spider-Man bracket is two dark horse folks. If I looked at my list. And you told me, and you asked me which are the two that are going to make it to the finals. I would not have picked these two. And they are legacy villains, which are always some of the worst villains in the world. Um, right. You know, when it's like, oh, hey, didn't you like this guy? Well, like, now here's another one and another one and another one. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a pass. If you're a relative of the person, but if you are the psychiatrist of the relative of the person, and then you go and through hypnosis find uh, where their secret stash of green goblin gear is and decide you're going to take over the underworld, except for the fact that you don't have the fancy goblin serum that gives you Wolverine-like healing powers and super strength then, you know, maybe you're a bit of a failure. And that's Bart Hamilton, Green Goblin number three. And he is taking on Aloysia Craven. Uh, Not the good Craven that everyone remembers from Craven's last hunt. Uh, Not even the lady Craven, uh, who would come several years later. Not even the Grim Hunter, who was a staple of the Spider-Clone saga. No, no, this was the first son of Craven that came out. And then he just did, like, generic Craven-y things. But most importantly, he uh, decided to go off to Hollywood and become a movie producer. Uh, he was going to form a babyface tandem with the Vulture. And then they just completely ignored that story altogether because it was that bad. Right. Um, so two, that... Two great characters, man. Uh, again, it's definitely... I, 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 I'm shocked that they made it. I'm glad that they did because I'm able to give them a big push. 
Um, just because he's been like crushing it more, I I want to see Green Goblin three Bart Hamilton make it to the finals. The best Green Goblin? Oh, uh, I don't know. He's definitely the top five. He pre definitely the top five Green Goblins. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know in this one because this is another tough one. But uh, maybe uh, maybe uh, uh, Aloysius Craven should be should win. I don't know. I'll back Aloysius. Okay. So we'll have the vote up, and we'll see who the the winner of the Spider Man one is next week. We'll have the Batman finals, and then the week after that, it's the Big Dukeru. Todd. <laughs> Todd's representative <laughs> against my representative. Do, do you remember what the big Dukeru, what movie that was in? I do. Because uh, while your two guys are busy being third and fourth rate Batman villains because their actual villains don't care about them, Bart Hamilton's at home washing his tights. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, Batman's so cool. Not as good as Spider-Man. I don't know. Michael Keaton's Spider-Man is better than any of the other Spider-Mans that uh, they ever made. So, you mean Michael Keaton Batman is better Michael than any Keaton Spider-Man Batman over any Spider-Man? You know, I'll Andrew listen. Garfield, Tom Holland. Michael Keaton is a villain in a Spider-Man movie. So, you I'll know just what? he might go ahead. Sorry, I'll just say that makes him. If Batman was so good, why did he want to come over and be part of the Spider-Man universe, huh? Because he did the Bat thing before the money was there. Oh, that's right, because nobody made any money off the Tim Burton Batman movie. But no, that was before <laughs> that was before you could make even bigger money at the at Disney, you know. Uh-huh. And he's still playing Batman, Joe, on the movies they're going to release. Really? They're going to release um wait, so there's another Batman movie coming out where Michael Keaton plays Batman? There's not another Batman movie, but there's another movie that he's in. And that movie's going to come out in theaters, you say, right? Um they moved it up a week. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's rumored, of course, that Michael Keaton is reprising his role as Batman in the, uh, Ezra Miller Flash movie, and as Todd mentioned, they did move the release date of that movie up a week. I say that's good news, but I don't know, you know, a lot can happen between now and June 17th, 2023 is all I'm saying. I'm, I'm with you. I wouldn't bet the house on seeing Michael Keaton as Batman again. But uh, I'm just saying, I think it could happen. So Okay. So, uh, you know, and of course, I'd be remiss not to mention, we're nearing the end of the football season. I was at my folks' house, and I saw there's at least, what, 16 teams that are already uh, playoff bound for the NFL? Um, that are, that are they, they're in the hunt, Joe. Let's oh, relax. they're in the hunt. Okay. Let's relax. <laughs> what do you um, think this is the Royal Rumble? Everybody gets in? Well, they have, only thirty people get in, right? But I was gonna—I was gonna say uh, when I was looking at like the different standings, can uh, the Raiders go to the NFC West, NFC East? Maybe the one where the Buccaneers are in first place with like a four and eight record or something ridiculous like that. Um, if you could, if we could, there's a lot of talk about people who 
who win their division with a losing record shouldn't like you know be in there and all that other stuff. And I'm just like, no, no, no. We have rules. We are not cavemen, people. We have rules. So I go by the rules. I never break any rules. I, but, just, uh, I just thought it was funny where they're like, oh, the Giants and the Eagles have these like huge winning records. It's only like one or two losses on the season. And then they get to the NFC and like, here are these teams that have like way more losses than they do have wins. And they're in first place. And I'm like... They could be in the Super Bowl this year. Sure, why not? You know? Hey, listen. <laughs> Once you're in, anything can happen. That's right. You could get hot at the right time. There have been there have been many a team. The Raiders were the first team to win a Super Bowl as a wild card team. Mm-hmm. It had never been done, and I don't know what their record was, but it probably wasn't uh, you know, a winning record. They might have been seven and nine or whatever uh i'd have to look that up but you know they they went on to win that thing so get it's all about being healthy and streaking joe it's all about streaking okay well everyone's worried about like covering this spread and no anyway i'm just worried about where certain baseball players are gonna land (laughs) on a pile of money with many beautiful women (laughs) yes yes that's really all they care about. But anyway, no movement in the standings. You're still in 21st place. I'm still in 29th place in the uh, ESPN pigskin pickums. Right. Uh, so you're still allowed to be a football fan. I am. Yes. <laughs> uh, did we have any art attacks this week? We did not have any ta- art attacks this week. Uh, well, like I said, you know, if you yourself are a burgeoning artist, the holidays are upon us. If you've gotten something commissioned or you decided to treat yourself to a original page, a piece of original art, be sure to share it with us. Tag Todd's Art Attack, and we will send it out to the rest of the world to share your beautiful art with all of our beautiful listeners, yourself included, of course. Uh, you want to help out the show, um, as mentioned before, it's so tough with the T public sales right now. I was expecting advanced notifications on stuff and right. whatever. And I think I got an email today from T public that said the sale is over as we're recording this because <laughs> they want to make sure that they can get any of the orders out for the holidays. Right. So, okay. All right. Um, but you can always go to the store tab and i got shirts and pins and stickers right here that i could mail out to you tomorrow you know yeah uh or if you're going to go to the lvac show on the 23rd of uh december you know we could all save on shipping and i could just bring them with me for you right right uh you can help us out as well by signing up for our patreon we mentioned at the beginning of the show of course patreon.com slash longbox heroes two extra shows a month from todd and myself one uh, being the movie show, we just wrapped up the films of Mark Pirro with the Deceased Won't Desist. And uh, we're going to be doing a show later this month talking about what 2023's movie show is going to be. And I think the poll is still up there that you can make your voice heard. Whether you're a patron of our show or not, as long as you have an active Patreon account, you can go to the site, free post, vote. Uh, we also have previewing the past. 30 years ago, this month's previews catalog uh 1992 december is going to be coming out this weekend and not a patreon show but there's going to be another bonus show christmas show coming out next week as well 
Right. And I just want to say on those uh, Oakland Raiders that won the Super Bowl as a wild card, they were the scrappy upstarts at 11 and 5, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they might have been 7 and 9 or 11 yeah. and 5, who knows. Uh, yeah, little one, little little from, little from column A, a little from column B. The one I'll always remember is the year that the Patriots went to the Super Bowl undefeated. That's my and, favorite story ever. But and ahead. they lost to the Giants, who actually were the wild card team, and they were eight and eight on the season. And they got the 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 what do you call it? They got the the game plan from the last game of the year. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They figured it out, and they're like, "All right, we didn't win this game, but they played them later in the Super Bowl, and they had it." Joe when that dastardly Tom Brady lost the streak. And that's the only streak that matters. The Undertaker streak in wrestling, any other dumb streaks. But that undefeated streak, and then the scrappy Giants took them down the way they did by busting Tom Brady in the mouth, it was a beautiful thing to behold. I may have picked up a friend's wife and kissed her after that (laughs) (laughs) It was a different time, Joe. Oh, my goodness. I hope you... Well, anyway, I'm not even going to... What you do in your own private business celebrating the downfall of others is between you, others, and their wives, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> all joking aside, all I did was lift her up and spin her around. That's okay. that's that's the, the end of it. Uh, but hey, Patreon, a uh, dollar a month will get you those two bonus shows. Uh, $5 a month will get you those shows two weeks before everyone else. And it'll get you uh, Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else so that you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another way that you can help us out, of course, is making any and all of your purchases through uh, our Amazon affiliate link. It's the banner at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. The link is in the show notes to every single one of these episodes, no matter where or how it is that you get these episodes. They do not charge you anything extra for clicking through our link. Amazon calls it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah. Some of the notable purchases to the Amazon click through this past week include uh, somebody purchased a Marvel Funko Pop Year of the Shield Cap Wolf. Ooh, uh, that's a fun looking one. Uh, luckily, I'm out of the Funko Pop game, so I didn't have to buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody also purchased volumes three, four, and five of the X Men on DVD collection, where I guess it's collections of digital DV- uh, digital comics on DVD, which I remember was a thing in like the late '90s, early 2000s, and I'm glad to see that it's still a thing. I I I remember the computer discs, but not the DVDs. Yeah. Oh, that's right. There was CD-ROMs. That's what it was. Right. Yes. Uh, somebody also purchased on Blu-ray something called Plaga Zombie American Invasion. Uh, it looks like a newer movie. I'm familiar with the original Plaga Zombie from the 80s, and I'm intrigued the fact that somebody decided that was an IP we needed to keep alive. Right. Uh, somebody also purchased a bananas holder hanger hook. Uh, we have one of those at the house. Did you know you're not supposed to let bananas lay flat? Um, uh, I did not because I would eat them as soon as I would get them. Okay. I don't well, even let them... we'll, buy, we'll buy a bunch of bananas and we can't eat them all in one day. 
or the store will only have the extra green ones, so we got to buy them, bring them home, and let them ripen here, you know? Right. Well, where do you hang yours, then? We have the bana- we have a, not this banana hanger, but we have a banana hanger ourselves. Oh, that's good. See, when I was reading this, I thought it was a bandana holder. Right. And I thought somebody was, you know, big into the hanky code. Right. They are, but again, typically you just keep them uh, neatly in your pocket, you know? <laughs> right. And uh, lastly, somebody purchased the Love Handle Brand Pro Premium Phone Grip. Uh, no handy holder, but thank you very much for uh, making the purchase through us. You beat me to it. Um, <laughs> it's my it's my Amazon read. I get to make the jokes. That is true. That is true. Um, and someone who has hooked up their comicsology to the Amazon click through uh, made these purchases. There's Richard Stark's Parker, the Martini edition, last call hardcover. Never, never read any of the Richard Stark's uh, Parker stuff, and I don't even really know anything about it. I'm gonna have to look that up, especially a Martini edition. I want to see if there's any <laughs> cool stuff in there. I, I'm pretty sure um, Darwin Cook did a bunch of them, if I'm not I, mistaken. I think that's what I remember it as. Yeah. But I'm hoping there's like a martini glass and alcohol. But anyway, um, also Monkey Prince number nine and a bunch of My Bad, My Bad number four, My Bad number five, a My Bad trade, and then the first issue of My Bad volume two. So uh, somebody's gotten on the My Bad train, Joe. Yes, and whenever I see stuff like that, I always it always makes me happy, and it makes me feel as though that was a purchase that was de- directly influenced by this show. Right, and you know what I would love to see out of my bad Joe, a uh, acid chimp uh, doll. I want an acid chimp doll in the worst way. <laughs> and did you happen to read my bad yet, Volume One? I did not get a chance to read it. It's been a busy week. Okay, they and I don't want to spoil anything. When you get to it, they do a write up like a like an interview with um, uh, Acid Chimp, and okay. when you get to it, Acid Acid Chimp's biggest fear is also Todd's biggest fear. Hmm. So when you get to it, you'll know. Yes. Uh, so just uh, real quick, the uh, Richard Starks Parker, uh, the Martini edition, sadly does not come with any sort of Martini items. Oh. Um, but it is the four Darwin Cook graphic novels put together in one giant oversized collection, uh, writing credits, including everyone from Ed Brubaker um, to Bruce Tim, uh, Richard Stark himself, of course, and so on and so forth. But again, thank you very much for making that purchase and any and all of your purchases uh, through our affiliate link, whether it be this week, this month, this year, this whatever. Right. And now I guess it's time to get into some spoiler-filled talk about the uh, second-to-last episode of Stargirl, huh? Yeah, second-to-last ever of Stargirl. Yeah. Oh, such a bummer. Having a week off, then getting this episode, and realizing that we only got one more episode left in all of this, uh, really made me appreciate uh, the previous episodes of the show that we got, and it made me just miss this episode, or it's going to make me miss this show that much more. I'm 100% with you. Yeah. Um, so, again, you know, we get our little recap at the beginning, um, just to kind of catch us up, because we were off for a week, you know. Um, but we start with a flashback to, uh, you know, what would be the 40s. Where the actress who was the ultra humanite back in the day, 
and I forget the actress, Dolores Winters, right. uh, shows her winning an award. Um, you know, having recently watched the Mark Pirro film Celluloid Soul, I got some <laughs> feelings from the uh, the YouTube videos of the actress that were online, you know? Yep, yep. Um, so she's in her hotel room afterwards, and uh, Mr. Standish shows up. And it looks as though he might be inebriated. It looks as though he's making a pass at her. Um, but she goes into a rage and murders him with the statuette that she won. And she feels as though maybe this guy was figuring out what was really going on, that uh, Dolores Winters was not herself, that it was, in fact, another person. And that's when uh, Dr. Ito shows up. The dragon uh, that's king. the person, right? The dragon king. That's who she is. Who she was waiting for, and they have an idea that they need to transfer the brain into another body, and that's where they have a copy of Great Adventure with Congo Bill on the cover, and Congo Bill is on the hunt for the great albino ape, and if they can get the great albino ape. Bef- before Congo Bill does, then they could put the brain uh, from Dolores uh, Winters into what will become the ultra humanite that we all know and love. Right. Um, Joe, I have major problems with this scene. Okay. Um, because Congo Bill was searching for the great golden ape, and this throws off continuity, and I don't like it. <laughs> um, he should have just gotten the idea. For the ape body from Congo Bill. Uh, and I just was, I this may have ruined the whole episode for me. No, I thought it was cool just the fact that we got Congo Bill as a mention. But uh, yeah, I was like, oh, wait, they use, I thought, you know, the albino. Ah, oh, but either way. And Congo, Congo Gorilla is one of the greatest characters ever made. So, so again, we don't know where it takes place in the timeline. Uh, maybe. His failure at getting the great white ape is what leads him to getting the great golden ape, or he's already gotten the great golden ape, and he wants every great ape there possibly is. Grape ape. Grape ape. Right. But yeah. So uh, we come back to, they do a thing where, so that's our cold open, the credits come in in black and white, staticky, and then they come into color for our current day and age. And we have essentially three concurrent storylines going on uh, in this um, episode. Um, We have the stuff with Mike and Jakeem and uh, Courtney, not Courtney, um, Cindy, Cindy, where Cindy has agreed to be with them. They're the all winners squad and all star squadron. All-Star Squadron, All-Winner's Squad is another uh, group. So uh, they're going to use the old ISA headquarters as their headquarters. It's very creepy. Jakeem gets the idea that we could just use uh, uh, the Thunderbolt to wish us to wear uh, what Cindy is looking for, which is one of her dad's old laboratories where she could find out something that could stop what's happening to her. He had experimented on her so much that it turned her hair white as a kid. She's starting to get the scales like he has. And then when she came back from the shadow, la- the shadow realm, 
There was something inside of her that was latent, that was activated, and now it's making things worse, you know? Right, yep. Uh, so, Jakeem uh, is going to do the wish, and Mike says, shouldn't you write it down first just so we get the wording right? And Jakeem's like, hey, don't embarrass me in front of Cindy. He does it. They show up somewhere, and the Thunderbolt's like, yeah, I took you where you wanted to go so that you can impress Cindy, not where she wanted to go. But luckily, where Jakeem wanted to go is where Cindy wanted to go. We'll come back to that momentarily. Right. So then our other stuff is uh, Courtney and Beth and Yolanda and Rick. Uh, Rick is having all sorts of issues, of course, because he took the inhibitor uh, off of the hourglass. He's been gassed up high <laughs> on goofballs the whole time. And it's really been starting to take its toll on him. And Rick finally relents. And finally gives in and accepts help, takes the hourglass off. And, you know, he's in a lot of pain, of course, because of it. Right. Right. He's in like, I'm guessing withdrawal. You know what I mean? Yes. But our big thing in this issue, this issue, this episode is uh, Joel McHale. And again, Sylvester Pemberton, star man, it's (laughs) Joel McHale. Right. Uh, He takes the cosmic rod from Courtney and he is going to go and kill Icicle. Uh, we all know, all of our principals know that Icicle is up to no good. Uh, we see Icicle at the end of the previous episode, where it appears as though he's in league with the Ultra Humanite. Um, he, they, they're like, he did not kill the Crocs in defense. Um, you know, Artemis must be going through a lot. Uh, Cordy doesn't know how to reach out to her. We see Artemis at her folks' gym. Joel McHale comes and. Sh- comes to her there and essentially says like don't worry i'm going to go kill icicle right you have nothing to worry about your parents will be avenged and one of the things that i really like about this episode well not just i'm I'm being facetious a little bit is just how people walk around in their costumes all day yes Uh, i'm like there's a scene where joel McHale leaves the house later as starman and he's just got the suit on. He's got the staff. And he's just like, I'm just going to walk out of the house. Now, granted, he could fly away. But Artemis going to the gym, which I love the fact that they used leaves to establish that nobody's been to the gym in a while um, because it's closed because they're dead. But she's just like, oh, it's like the, you know, the middle of the day, morning or whatever. And she's just walking in daylight as Sportsmaster Junior. And I'm like, people should, you know, I don't know, take your costumes off when you're walking around. But anyway. So anyway, the main crux is Joel McHale keeps telling everyone, I'm the one who needs to take care of this myself. And uh, he gets a bit in the episode as I'm watching it. Um, he gets the Harry and the Hendersons monologue where John Lith- where he's John Lithgow and Pat is the Bigfoot. And he's mean to him to get him to leave. But he doesn't right. really feel that way. Uh, he just knows that if he stays, he'll be in danger. Um, but little did I know what really was going on, right? Right. I mean, wasn't that like what your whole thing was? He's like, yeah, he's being mean to him, so he'll, so they'll go off alone. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, oh, don't. It has to be this, Joe, one hundred percent. Right. And then he, uh, Joel McHale, even goes and like breaks uh, the stripe robot, um, so that Pat can't get that idea to go into the robot to come and pass like. What a sweetheart Joel McHale is. He's doing this to help us. He doesn't want us to be in danger. Now, we also get a little bit of a thing here where uh, Icicle goes to his son and talks about the teacher. 
that is missing, uh, the teacher that his grandparents killed. Right. Um, and he's like, oh, well, he's missing, and no one knows where he is. If you want, we can go and help look for him together. But I heard a story that he might have had a psychotic break and ran away, and no one can find him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're lying to your son after everything that this kid has been through, you know? Right, right. And I know we talked a couple weeks ago that we're going to get that big icicle versus icicle battle at some point, you know? Right, right. Ice on ice. Right. Uh, literally, uh, I was going to say hot ice on ice action, but it's going to be cold ice on ice action. Right. And then um, one other thing is when uh, Sylvester, a.k.a. Joe McHale, chews out uh, Stripe, Stripesy, Courtney hears it. And in one of those moments, I actually do like Courtney's speech to, like, uh, Joe McHale. Like, hey, listen, you were my hero. I thought you were my dad. But everything I've been through, Pat's been there for me. And Pat's not only my hero, he's my dad. And, like, it took us three seasons to get there. But I was kind of like, yeah, Courtney. Like, you finally realize it. Um, It's not Sylvester. It's this. And I was like, but then... When the uh, the staff won't come to her, I was like, "Ooh, uh oh, we got problems, Joe." Right. Um. So Pat decides unarmed, I'm going to go to the Icicles' house, and what's something that I could bring to the Icicles' house to stop them? I know a flamethrower. He took it off the broken uh, stripes yeah. robot, so I thought right. that was actually kind of cool. It was still awesome. It was awesome. I'm just making a joke. You know, yeah, it's, okay. it's it's Stargirl the flamethrower. The kids are going to love it, you know? <laughs> right. So he's confronted by Joel McHale here. And Joel is like, I told you not to follow me. I'm doing this to keep you safe. Stop doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Flashback to our original story that we were talking about before which was Cindy and Mike and Jakeem. They find one of Dr. Ito uh, Dragon King's labs, and there's a body there with a sheet over it, and they pull the sheet off of it, and it's Dragon King. And then they notice that Dragon King is missing his brain. And then the ultra-humanite comes in and calls Cindy his daughter. And everyone is like, wait a minute. If Dragon King's brain is in the Ultra Humanite body, where's the Ultra Humanite's brain? One of the greatest shots in Stargirl after this. Oh my god. And then we get the reveal. And like you were right because like you're like the whole time like Joel McHale's evil. And I'm like, no, nah, he's not evil, he's Joel McHale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Joel McHale has been the Ultra Humanite this whole time. Right, and I would like to say I was not only right one time, but I was right multiple times because really it all turns out to be ultra humanite slash icicle slash starman. You know what I mean? So like that's why you get the the multiple killers. So each time I was like, oh, I think it's this guy. They were all in league, so I'm taking this as a W, Joe. W for Todd. <laughs> I don't care. Now, so it's at this point. Joel McHale gets the jump on uh, Pat, throws Pat in a grave and is throwing dirt on him. And as he's doing so, he reveals the entire plan, Um, how he came to be, how the brain gets in the body, the trek to get to this point. And then once he was here, all the little things that he did to all the other members of the JSA 
to instill doubt and instill fear, to separate from them from their families, to, um, you know, what he did to Rick to tell him to take the inhibitor off the hourglass. He's just been working everyone since the beginning, and we've all been too stupid to realize it. Because we were kind of agreeing with him all along the way, except for the inhibitor. That I always understood, like, oh, um... And he didn't even tell him. He's just like, oh, there was. it's probably something wrong. He didn't tell him, take the inhibitor out. He told him, and I love this. He told him, he's like, oh, you're, it's not working right. You have to retool the inhibitor. And knowing that what a, you know, roid head Rick is, that he's just going to take it out. He's not going to, like, fix it for the hour. He's like, why don't I just do it all the time? And it's brilliant because even when he's, she's like, the parents were too stuffy. You feel Beth had to step away from them. I'm like, this is all genius because we were kind of like, yeah, long way. He was given the, ah, shucks, let me put my foot up on the desk speech. You know what I mean? And our chair or whatever. And I'm like, wow, this is so good. But him burying Pat as he's telling the story, and he almost kind of gives into it because as because it seems like the ultra humanite is a method actor. And he's becoming Sylvester a little bit. He almost helps him out. And he's like, no, I'm going to tell you my whole story. And I was just waiting for him at one point to say to Sylvester or to Pat, you have something on your face and then throw a shovel full of dirt (laughs) because I definitely got an army of darkness feel as that was going on. Yeah, but this was a great ending. And there's still like, how are they going to wrap everything up in 42 minutes this week? I don't know, but it is written by Jeff John. So... So a bunch of new characters are going to be introduced and getting killed. Yes, they're going to they're going to squash a whole bunch of yeah. characters. But I still think so. There is one bit, and maybe you could help me out with this. Okay. Remember early on in this season where Joel McHale says he's going to go investigate on his own. Um the ga- the the site where the gambler was found murdered. Right. Right. And something grabs him and takes him off into the air. The ultra human, I threw him in the air. Okay. Why? Because he said he needed to get beat up to to get him over. You know what I mean? Okay. To fake out. Because they said it in one of the flashbacks. He's like, okay. but I'm guessing it was. Now, could that be another swerve in the last episode? But I feel he didn't get so much picked up as the ultra human. I grabbed him and threw him into the air. Okay. So I mentioned, of course, we have our uh, hot ice on ice action that we're going to get next week, right? Right. We're going to get our showdown with Joel McHale and Courtney over the cosmic rod. And the other thing from the very first couple episodes of the season that's been a dangling plot thread, we're going to get ultra humanite. Well, the you know, it's ultra humanite, right? Right. Joel McHale. You know what I mean? Uh, We're going to get the big white ape taking on Solomon Grundy. I think so too, but we're also going to get a little bit of uh, Cindy in there to get back at her father. Who's an ultra humanite. Yeah. yeah. But like those are going to be your big three set piece battles for the last episode. You know, I can't wait for the effect of Solomon versus ultra humanite. I think we got about, 30 seconds of the old humanite doing stuff this week before Cindy just grabbed a random vial and threw it and the room filled with smoke. Right. And then it's like, Oh, you can only see the tips of ultra humanites fingers through the smoke. (laughs) 
That'll save us some money. <sighs> and we kid because we love. I really have been enjoying Stargirl. The only good thing that I see from coming from Stargirl coming to an end is that maybe I could buy the staff on eBay when it's all. Oh, okay. You know, if anybody sees that out there, show used prop glows and floats. I want that. I want no prototypes of the staff. I want the real one. So I guess that's it, right? No Andor, so we're done. Right, no Andor, and then we only got the one more um, episode of Stargirl for next week. And then we get a couple weeks off with nothing doing. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, everyone, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, This was episode 635, Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.